You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for March 2008. Today's episode is titled, Doing Business in God's Universe. A fundamental principle of the universe is that whoever is in charge gets to make the rules. In a family, the parents are in charge and make the rules. In a business, the owner of the business is in charge and makes the rules. In a church, the church leaders are in charge and make the rules. And in a country, the government is in charge and makes the rules. But in the universe, God the Creator is in charge, therefore, He makes the rules. Enjoy this month's teaching, which illustrates that separation of church and state and separation of church and business are wrong assumptions about reality, because God makes all the rules for the universe that He created. If you've been to the Executive Forum before, uh, you know that normally what I do is I, I tell you a story about a great company. And you've heard stories about people like Asa Candler. Remember Asa Candler, founder of Coca-Cola? You've heard stories about John Wanamaker. John Wanamaker is the founder of the Modern Department Store. His son is also uh, very instrumental in founding the PGA Tour. You've heard great stories about J.C. Penney. You've heard stories about Robert E. Lee. And how about uh, Oliver Parsons Crowell? Remember him? The man that started Quaker Oaks and was arguably instrumental in saving Moody Bible Institute about 100 years ago when it was about, about to fall apart. And last time, you may recall, we talked about Marion, Marion Wade. Remember Marion Wade, the founder of Service Master. All of these men had one thing in common, and that is they loved the Lord. And they, they realized that their faith, their walk with God, was the foundation of their life, including their business. And they brought that, that foundation into their business and built great companies because they built it on biblical principles. So it's fascinating to see how these men uh, functioned and what they did, what the, how the success they had. But today what I want to do is something a little different. I want to talk about a broader context. I want to talk about a country. You know, we are, we are parts of communities. We're parts of regions. We're parts of state. And our states are parts of countries. Our country is part of the world community. Ultimately, we're all connected on these, all these different levels. And what happens in various areas of life, whether it's on a country level or a state level or a city level, impacts us to some degree or other. And so I want to talk today about how a country impacts business and how business impacts a country. So go with me back to about the middle of the 19th century. And you recall during that time, the world became very enamored with missions, particularly the Christian community. So they started sending missionaries out all over the world. And these missionaries went out to very pagan environments. And many times these environments were characterized by cannibalism, by witchcraft, uh, tribal warfare, and inevitably poverty, because those things lead to poverty. And so there were missionaries that, that left the United Kingdom and went uh, into the Pacific Ocean and, and evangelized a lot of the indigenous people there. And this one missionary led the way. His name was Thomas Baker. Thomas Baker went to this one country in the South Pacific, and he gave his life to share the gospel with these people. But his life was not lost in vain because these people did receive the Lord 
and eventually virtually all the indigenous population of this country became Christians. Over time, as the, uh, the colonial period uh, kicked in, the, the British decided they wanted to bring in some, um, some people to do the menial work. So they started bringing in people from India. Now, most of the people from India were Hindu. So what you now have is an indigenous population that's largely Christian, and you have now the working class, if you wish, that's largely Hindu. So you had immediately division and you had friction right at the beginning. For about 100 years, things went along okay. The economy was so-so, never really very robust, and uh, the friction between the two was manageable. Finally, in about 1995, the... Uh, the Hindus were able to elect a prime minister. Well, this absolutely incensed the Christians. And so it incensed them so much that they, were, they had a call to arms. And so what you had here was a coup. And the legitimately elected government was taken hostage, which meant that the government ceased to function. The military and police backed the coup. Now, there was friction between the military and the police, internal friction. Some backed the coup, some didn't, but eventually those that backed the coup won out. So the coup remained. Anarchy broke out, broke out in the streets. Looting, murder, and arson were unchecked. In other words, the businesses of the community were decimated. Much of the death and destruction was due to racial differences, which means that the targets of most of the death and destruction were the Hindus. Because of the lawlessness and uncertainty, the economy ceased to function. Tourism stopped. Food production stopped. Distribution and manufacturing stopped. Natural resources dried up. There were no jobs. After nearly two months, the coup was thwarted, and a new government led largely by Christians was installed. But the economy was in calamity. Put yourself into that setting as a Christian business person and what you've got to do is respond to this problem you've got to come up with how what do we do our country our economy is in the ditch you know we have people have been killed businesses have been destroyed they've been burned out they've been looted farms have been destroyed the economy is in the ditch tourism has stopped everything's come to a halt we're just we're barely surviving here now you're a Christian businessman in this community what do you do is that a tough enough question? That challenge you a little bit? Let me suggest that we have something impeding our thinking that keeps us from really seeing what needs to happen here. We have this doctrine in this country called separation of church and state. You heard of that? We all believe it's true. Okay? And today the common interpretation of separation of church and state is that the church is supposed to be kept out of government. It's supposed to have no role in government. For example, have, have you noticed um, how the politicians are running around the country today, you know, because this is an election year, and they're speaking in churches? Have you noticed that? They like to speak in churches. But then you get them away from the churches, and what do they say to you? We're not going to let our church, our, quote, religion, they call it religion, which I don't like that terminology, but that's what they call it, so I'll use their term. We're not going to let our religion impact our governing. Well, if your religion is not going to impact your governing, what is? Where are you going to get the principles? So you see, we've got this flawed thinking that separation of church and state is a correct doctrine. 
If you go back and look at the uh, original meaning of the term separation of church and state, early on the point of that was to protect the church from the state. The sense was these people had come over from England, had seen what a state church looked like and experienced the, the, the difficulties of that and the oppression of that. They determined in this new land we're not going to have a state church. So that was very important to them. So protecting the church from the state was the priority. We flipped it. And we've allowed the, the basically the agnostic and atheistic world to tell us, no, no, we have to protect the state from the church, which is not true at all. So these people in this country did not have the doctrine of separation of church and state. That was not part of their culture. They didn't understand that. that if you had to start talking to them about that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have computed. So they didn't think like we think. We're all indoctrinated with this separation of church and state, even though we might intellectually know it's wrong. You might have just agreed with my explanation. Say, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's right at all. But we've been indoctrinated with it, so we, that's how we filter things through that grid, and we're not even aware we're doing that. And so that keeps us from seeing truth and reality. Well, what, these, what this government did after the coup was suppressed, some Christians were able to get into some level of control. They went into a period where they were going to really reconstitute the government, so they had to have kind of an interim government. Well, a number of Christians got into control in the government. Well, they've got this economic calamity, this total collapse of their economy on their hands. They gathered together and say, what is going on here? What's the root? And to a man, the government agreed the problem was the church. Now, that may sound just startling. Why would the church have, what's the church got to do with economic calamity? Well, what they realized and understood that we don't get is that whatever's going on in the church is going on in the culture. Whatever's going on in the church is going on in the businesses. Whatever's going on in the church is going on in the government. Whatever's going on in the church is going on in the schools. They understood that. We don't get that. So what they did is they sat down and said, we need to go and meet with the church leaders. So they called the church leaders together. Now, this was a fairly typical group of church leaders. In fact, it's probably very similar to what, if you called a meeting of church leaders here in America, you'd probably have a very similar meeting. You've got all these very independent people coming together that are all pointing fingers at each other, talking about how right they are and how wrong you are. Isn't that what we would do? That's what we would do. And so they get together, and the, 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 these government leaders, who were more godly than the church leaders, said to them, look, the problem here is that we are not walking with God. That is the problem. And you guys are supposed to lead us. That's your role as the church. And they're sitting there saying, you know, like, what, what are you talking about? Look, look, look around. Look what's happened. We are in absolute despair. Our economy's crumbled. Tourism is gone. We're not producing any food. There are no jobs. The, the retail district's burned out. The farms are destroyed. The, the streams are polluted. The fish have gone. The, the reef is dead. There's nothing here for us to survive on. And the problem is we're under the judgment of God. And we need to repent. Well, the church leaders got it. They got it. And they got it real clear. They fell on their knees in repentance and began to come together and confess their sin one to another and acknowledge how they had been so bitter and jealous of each other and so greedy for building their building or having more people in their church or greedy for the tithe or whatever that whatever was going on, they began to repent. And as they began to repent, they came together in, uni in unity and they began to pray. 
and asked the Lord to forgive them. Forgive them for what they had done, how they had neglected their responsibility in spiritually leading this country. What they came to grips with was the truth of Second Chronicles 7.14. It says this, If my people who are called by my name and will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And then he says, and I will heal the land. Now see, the church leaders understood that the healing of the land was a reference to economic provision and prosperity. They understood that was the key. We have to repent before God so the flow of blessing can be restored to us. And so the church leaders grabbed this. Have you ever seen church leaders learn anything from political leaders? Would that be something new? Well, the the church leaders got it because they they weren't... saddled with this false doctrine of separation of church and state. They humble themselves, they start praying, they gather together, they formed association, and revival broke out all over the country. In July of 2001, there was a three-week meeting of nothing but prayer, worship, and Bible study for three weeks. Masses of people came from all over the country to participate in this activity. People were getting saved. People were rededicating their lives. Uh, Broken relationships were being restored. Healings began to break out. And incidentally, while all this has happened, you know what happens? The farmland begins to produce. Orchards that had been dead suddenly come back to life. The fruit that wasn't there all of a sudden was there, and it was bigger. Bananas were bigger. The tropical fruits were bigger. Streams that had been polluted for some unknown reason all of a sudden came back to life. There was fish in them now. Prior to this, you couldn't, you couldn't even plant anything close to the stream because the stream was so polluted. Well, now the stream came back to life, and you could plant your, your gardens and your vegetables right down to the edge of the stream. There was coral that had been dead. The coral reef hadn't been dead. Out of the dead coral reef came new life. New coral began to spring up. Fish that they had not seen for over 50 years that they claimed to be their fish It was kind of like the trademark of our country is this fish. That fish all of a sudden returned in abundance. The fishermen couldn't couldn't get enough. It kind of reminds me of the story. Remember in John 21 when uh, between the time Jesus was resurrected and the time he ascended, he is um, he's 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 fixing breakfast one day beside the the uh, the Sea of Galilee, and seven of his disciples had gone out to fish that night. Now I don't know. I'm not a fisherman, but I, I can get on the Internet and look things up. And I, I found out that the best time to fish is at night. Now, I didn't know that. And the reason it's the best time to fish is because fish are nocturnal. During the day, fish are very sedentary. If you're trying to catch fish during the day, you throw out a hook. I mean, it could go right by them and they won't react. You'd have to hit them and juggle them and try to get them to react. But at night, they're active. They're feeding. They're looking for food and everything. So that's t- the time you go fish. So here are these seven guys. Peter, James, and John, Thomas, Nathaniel, and two others that were not identified. Seven of them were in this boat fishing all night. They catch nothing. So here they come cruising in. Now, these are professional fishermen. These are not amateurs. These are professionals. They come cruising in. There's Jesus sitting there on the, on the shore. He's got a fire going. He's cooking some breakfast for them. And he says, hey, did you catch anything? They said, nope, didn't catch a thing. He says, throw the net on the right side. 
Now, how do you think they felt about that? How would you feel about that? I mean, the first reaction to me would be, you are a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. You're telling me what to do? But they didn't do that. They were humble enough not to do that. That was just the flesh coming up. But they throw the net over there, and sure enough, the net is full of fish. They can't hardly drag it in. Now, see, what that is, that is the favor of God. Now, see, what we've done in our, in our society is we've taken on a very non-biblical worldview. And that worldview is that business happens in a closed system. A closed system means that basically there's all these rules that we have that we operate by, and there's really no outside interference. Everything happens in a closed system. By the way, I was trained that way. I'm a scientist by training. That's how I was trained. I was trained that, that nature is a closed system. We do not appeal to divine causes to explain events in nature. No, no credible science would do that. scientist would do that, or you would lose credibility with the other scientists. Now, that doesn't make the scientists right. Please understand me. Just because you have popular, the popular opinion of scientists doesn't mean you're right. Likewise, if you have the popular opinion of the businessman, it doesn't make you right. What makes you right is God declares you right. Okay? And what God is saying is, hey, I am involved in the economy. I am involved in business. I am involved in making money. And I'm the one that gives you the opportunity. I gave you the skill, the ability, everything that you need to turn that into a profit. I gave it to you. And if I want you to catch fish, I'll tell you where to throw the net, and I'll bring the fish to you. Now, see, that's not a closed system. That's an illustration of the divine economy that's given to us in the Bible. These people, and by the way, this country was the country of Fiji. These people in the country of Fiji, the leaders, understood this. They were not contaminated with separation of church and state. They were not contaminated with this false doctrine of a closed system. They recognized that God was intimately involved in his creation, intimately involved in the business community, in intimately involved in the political community. And so they began to really reach out and embrace God. They did not even try to solve the economic problem. The bait is this. You see a problem, you try to attack the problem head on. The problem was a symptom. The problem that you saw was a symptom. The real root issue was this country was in rebellion against God and they were getting the fruit of that rebellion. And the religious leaders had enough wisdom, or the, excuse me, the political leaders had enough wisdom to realize that religious leaders were out to lunch and didn't get it. And so they're the ones that appealed to the religious leaders say, would you wake up and realize what's going on here? God wants to bless us, but he will not bless idolatry. He will not bless sin. And that's what we have going on in this country. We have this disunity, this fraction, this, this absolute this environment where, where we are absolutely fighting and bickering among one another, and the result of that is economic calamity. We have to go and repent and turn to God and realize that every human being has been created by the same God. We all have the same source. And so as they began to appeal to the religious leaders to step up, and they did, and as they did, they began to pray and seek God, they never had to work on the economy. Isn't that an amazing thing how God fixes problems? If you go to the root issue, which is ultimately your relationship with God, how you're walking with God, and you fix that, 
and you, you make sure that is pure, these other things just, they work out. I've often shared with people how I get frustrated as a business consultant because the reason I get frustrated is, is frequently when I go into a situation and I see just what you guys saw today, there's a business problem here, we need to solve this business problem, and I realize, I've realized enough over the years that those are always symptoms, and I start working on the real root issue, I never have to solve the business problem because when I solve the root issue, the business problem goes away. I'll give you a classic, this is a very classic case in point here. i got time to do this. I got a call from a client about two years ago. Ring-a-ling-a-ling. Hey, will you help me recapitalize my business? Hey, that's a business problem. I could do this. I said, okay, tell me what the problem is. Oh, well, well, we, we were in competition with um, a bunch of big boxes, you know, Lowe's and Home Depot. Not good people to have competition with. So uh, he said, we had all these operations, and we realized that we couldn't sell the same products they did as cheaply as they could, so we needed to contract. So we, we took our five locations, contracted to one, and in the process we lost a lot of money. We, we ultimately lost our credit line, and so now we've done all the contraction. We're down to the model we think can work, but I don't have any capital. I used all my money. My credit line's gone. I need money. I said, okay, fine. Tell me about your marriage. Now, what kind of conversation do you think that was? <laughs> what? What has my marriage got to do with this? I said, I don't know, but I know this. I know money is not a root issue. Money is a symptom. If I try to help you fix your money problem and we don't fix the root issue, you will just have this money problem again. It'll just be in another form later on. So I've got to figure out what is the root issue here. And so as I began to explain this to him, he kind of went along. You know, business guys don't always go along, but this one did. He went along and he humored me. We got his wife on the phone. And of course, the wife is kind of, she's kind of reacting the same way, like what? I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know anything to do with that business there, you know? So anyway, we got into a conversation and we discovered a number of things. One of which was, big clue. How well you listen to your wife is a clue to how well you listen to God. Whoops. That conviction? Well, that's reality because our wives have been divinely ordained for us. They're perfectly suited for us. They are the perfect mate, the match that we need to help us live the lives that God's given us to live. Same way with wives with husbands. So how well you relate to each other is a clue to how you relate to God. And so that was, that was the big point of it. Another thing, another thing that came out of the discussion is I asked them this. I said, uh, uh, is anybody praying for this business? And they were just kind of quiet. So I turned to the wife. I said, are you praying for the business? She says, well, not really because I'm so distracted with these other problems over here with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, that's where the husband was not listening. So we, when we got the husband to listen to her and they sit down and work out the issues with the kids, then I asked both of them, I said, do you believe the text in Ephesians that says we wrestle not with flesh and blood but with principalities and powers. Oh, yeah, we believe that. I said, you believe it, it, that impacts your personal life? Yeah. Does it impact your business life? And there's just silence. Like, I've never thought about that. That's a new idea. And I said, well, why, why wouldn't you think that we would have the same issues in our business life that we have in our personal life? What gives me a right in the Scripture to, to take that text and say it does not apply to business? There's nothing in Scripture that isolates it. It's a dualistic mindset. That's true. For those of you who are familiar with dualism, the dualism is a, it's another, it's another expression of separation of church and state. It's where we're trying to, to take truth and compartmentalize it and say it's not relevant in this area. But the reality is the Word of God is the Word of God and it impacts everything because God created everything. And he makes all the rules for his, his universe. And so as we talked our way through it, I asked her, I said, you know, 
would you be willing to pray for this company every day that God would protect it from the attacks of the enemy? And she agreed to, and she, she gladly agreed to. Did you know the next day, after we have this long conversation about the children, about spiritual warfare, all this stuff, we had a great time. And the next day, I thought, okay, well, now we're going to solve the business problem. Now we kind of got all the, the other stuff solved. Now we're going to solve the business problem. I didn't get to because he goes back to the office. He walks in the door. One of his employees walks up to him and says, hey, boss, can I talk to you? He said, sure, come on in my office. He says, says, I know we don't have money to buy inventory. And you see, I just, I just sold this real estate up here, and I got a bunch of money. You want to borrow my money? I thought, my goodness, why do we need business consultants? <laughs> the reality is if we, if we learn how to, if we learn the lesson of Fiji and we learn holistic Christianity and learn that the church is the pillar and ground of truth and truth is needed for every area of life and we let the church begin to disseminate truth in everything we do, we're going to see different lives. The church is the pillar and ground of truth according to 1 Timothy 3.15. Now, when we read 1 Timothy 3.15, we put on our dualistic hermeneutic. That sounds like a disease, doesn't it? Okay. Well, it is kind of a disease. The dualistic hermeneutic says when we read truth, we, we put parenthesis spiritual truth. You know what we do? We don't think about that as all truth. The reality is whatever you do, you need truth. Have you tried to do anything based on lies and deception? Anybody tried that? Yep. It doesn't work, does it? You need truth. You need the truth about how God made the universe to work and how, you, how he wants you to operate in his universe. So the truth should be disseminated first and foremost through the local church. It should be the equipping center. When you go to church on Sunday, you should be going to get equipped to do what God has called you to do wherever your assignment is. Because Ephesians 4 tells us we're all ministers. You know, we got this, this whole thing about ministry all mixed up. You know, minister is a servant. That's what a minister is. You know, if you go to, go to Europe and you do business over there, and you're likely to run into a minister of finance. Who's that guy or girl? It's a CFO. The CFO over there is a minister of finance. Because they, they have a more biblical terminology over there in terms of how they label people. We call them chief financial officer. So we've kind of extracted the biblical overtones you know, from the position. But the reality is every position in every company is a ministry position. We're all in the business of serving. And so the church has to equip us to go do whatever it is that we've been called to do. The church is an equipping center. So that's why it's in the center. And you notice those arrows pointing out to the four circles. There's an individual circle, there's business circle, government circle, and family circle. Those are basically areas where God has delegated authority. And by the way, we all operate under delegated authority. That's right. Have you ever noticed how the Great Commission starts? All of you know the Great Commission. By the way, the Great Commission only appears once in Scripture. Did you know that? Okay, for those of you that get, get all bent out of shape because of, I don't want to dwell on something that only appears once. It only appears once. But we all believe it. And we all practice it. It's the basis for most mission work. But it starts out talking this. It says, all authority has been given to me. What in the world is that all about? Why is the world, why is Jesus talking about authority here in the Great Commission? Because Jesus was under authority. He understood derived authority. 
We all operate under derived authority. Whatever you do in business, God has put you there and given you the authority to be there, to do his bidding. And so being under derived authority is very important. So what the church should be doing is speaking into our lives enough truth so we know how to function in our areas of authority. I have authority over my personal life. I need the church to give me the truth that I need to operate well in that authority. I operate in a family context with my wife and my children and my grandson, who I should mention first. And I, you, you need understanding from the Word of God to know how to function in that realm. We operate in a workplace. I am a management consultant. You all are different things. Whatever you are, you need revelation and truth from God, which should come from you, from through the church to you. Now, I know you say, wait a minute. You didn't learn. You didn't get your Ph.D. in physics from the church. No, I didn't. But how much better would it have been if my professors had been walking with God and given me physics from a biblical worldview? Because they were tied in, and the church was giving them truth about how God made the universe to work. I got a level of education, but it was truncated because my professors, by and large, didn't have a biblical worldview. If you, whatever school you went to, whatever you studied, the same was probably true of you, unless you were fortunate enough, by the grace of God, to have professors that walked in a biblical worldview. The church should be training those professors. It should be training every teacher. It should be training every business owner. It should be training you know, every financial consultant, every, you know, every lawyer, every accountant. Whoever you are, the church should be giving you a biblical worldview of what you do so now you can go do that in submission to God and in unity with the plan and purpose of God. And, of course, government here. I mean, who, who established the authority for government? You look at Romans 13. No authority exists apart from God. Everybody that's in governmental authority has been put there by God. So God says, I've got some rules and principles I want you to follow. And here they are. And so our job is to discern those rules and principles and do them. Fiji understood this holistic view of this model. We in this country don't understand it well which means we're, we have a problem here. We have got to be radical about getting rid of this separation of church and state, getting rid of this dualism out of our thinking, so that we can begin to see root, issue, root issues. If we can't see root issues, we won't recognize how what's really driving the results that we're seeing is the spiritual dynamics of our environment. Whatever's going on in our churches is going on in our culture. If you want to fix your business, if you want to fix your community, if you want to fix your family, you need to start looking at what's going on in your church. And you need to be a positive contributor. The thought is, okay, what can I do? I'm just a member of my church. No, you can go in there and be a little leaven. Remember the principle of the kingdom? A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Wherever you are, whatever you do, you go in there and you walk with God. You be in relationship with other people that are walking with God. You be people of prayer. You have your own revival going on just like Fiji, and you let God take care of the results because that's what he did in Fiji. He took care of the results. By the way, along the way, a lot of interesting things happened. There was a marijuana grower that was chronically ill. He heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He repented, and from that day on, he never was, was ill again. There was another man, an older man who was an alcoholic. He had a bad leg. He was set for surgery in about a week or two. And he went to a service, and they started praying for him. The next time he went to the doctor, the doctor looked at his knee and says, there's nothing wrong with your knee. Well, you don't need the surgery. And he knew exactly what had happened, that God had responded to his repentance and healed him. 
There was a Hindu girl who for 18 years had gone to doctors. She had a problem with her eye, and she couldn't see out of this one eye. The doctors had given her all these treatments. They had gone to all through their Hindu Hindu uh, approach to it, and I don't know all the details of the Hindu approach to it, but out of frustration, they went to a Christian church, and they started getting prayer. They prayed the first night, nothing happened. The second night, nothing happened. The third night, her eyesight began to come back, and soon she had total vision in the eyesight. The family was so struck with the power of God and the grace of God, the whole Hindu family became Christian. And that is sweeping across Fiji because what you have here is church leaders stepping up and recognizing holism. They are now saying, we know our job is to train everybody in a biblical worldview to do whatever they do. And we know if they will walk in that worldview, then they will be prosperous because God is faithful to his word. And so that's the challenge we all have. Can we step up to this view of Christianity, this holistic view right here, which is about going to the church to get equipped to do what God's called us to do no matter what it is. If we do that, we will be world changers. If we do that, we will live differently from the rest of the world. If we do that, we will prosper in whatever we do. And don't, don't hear me saying that's going to put a million dollars in your bank account. Prosperity is having what you need to do what you're called to do. That's what prosperity is. You will have provision to do your call if you walk with God because God pays for what he orders. Right. Some of you have heard my friend Dennis Peacock say that. And I've seen that over and over again. If we believe Matthew 6.33, that's what it says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of your needs. Whatever your needs are, I'll take care of them. If we really believe that verse, then our job is always to seek first the kingdom and to do it according to his principles, whatever we're doing. And as we do that, we'll begin to walk out the reality of what it is to know Jesus in every job that we're in. So, Lord, give you grace to do that well. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And Father, we repent of the false doctrine of separation of church and state. We repent of dualism. And we ask that you would impart to us a fresh revelation of your truth. A fresh revelation of how the church of Jesus Christ is designed to be the equipping center for us to do what you've called us to do a fresh revelation of how to be able to see problems at the real root issue, not at the symptom level. Lord, give us grace to be good students. Give us grace to be wise stewards. Give us grace to walk in the reality of your Son and to become the Word incarnate as this, your Son was the Word incarnate. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and say, Lord Jesus, your will be done. Give us that grace to do it well in our jobs, in our homes in our churches, individually, in our communities. So, Lord, we give, commit ourselves to you and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your son that gave us life. We commit ourselves to him. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>